0: Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women's Day Podcast, a look back at some of the show's highlights this week. Now, no one ever said that bringing up children would be easy and there are certain times when you might expect more problems than others, the teenage years being the most obvious example. But for some young people, those issues go far beyond the usual teenage angst, and a growing number of parents in the island are finding themselves struggling with children suffering from things like anxiety and depression. So that's why, 18 months ago, two local mums set up a charity called Parent to Parent. Essentially, it's a support group run by people who've been through or are going through tough times to help others in the same situation. And we're joined by Lorna Fairclough, who is the director and one of the co-founders. Lorna, how important would you say it is to have a group of people who truly understand what you're going through just to be there? I think it's it's so important.
2: Basically what you go through from from the start, from the early days of watching your teenager struggle, is a, a sort of a process really. Uh, you're probably a little bit like, what do I do? You know, how do I deal with this? You may look for support. You may actually feel judged, which, you know, you can actually judge yourself as well because you think you've got it wrong, you know, the fact that your child is struggling and you don't know what to do. Um, The obvious thing to do for most parents, we find, is they go to the GP. Um, Some GPs are, you know, very supportive. Others are a bit dismissive. Um, but what we do find is as time goes on the child will get support from maybe a referral to CAMS but the parent is left without support so um, this is very close to my heart having experienced it myself and and my um, other director uh, Emma has also felt the same thing so we decided that we would support each other and then as you've said it's kind of grown from there and we've become a a support team if you like a network so it, it is important it's very difficult to know where to go and you do feel as a parent quite lonely.
1: How do you know as a parent what is normal expected teenage behavior and what isn't because as as I said I mean there is a certain amount of of teenage angst if you if you put it that way there is typical I guess. Yes.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah it's a difficult age for any teenager but I think the normal door slamming staying in bed late answering back, that sort of thing, you kind of expect as a parent. But then when it goes to another level where the child is maybe missing out on, say, an activity that they've always done, you know, from being small, and then all of a sudden they withdraw from that, they maybe take to their bed and longer than a normal teenager would. And, you know, uh, uh, some children even end up agoraphobic because they're, they're so nervous and so anxious about what bothers them when they go outside that they stay within the home where they feel safe. So those sort of signs, for a parent, I would say that's the sort of thing you need to be looking for. So if you've had a teenager before, then you would probably have already gone through the, the grumpy years. But So you may know what to look for. But if it's your only child, you may think that it's actually quite normal. But it's very difficult because children now are on Facebook all the time. They're on their phones all the time. So they're already withdrawn from the family to a degree. And they're in the bedroom because that's what teenagers like to do. But there are other signs. And I would have said it's more the withdrawing from friendship groups and school and that sort of thing that you maybe need to keep it, be aware of, really.
1: So parent-to-parent grew from a, a friendship between two mothers going through very similar experiences t- to what it is now, a year and a half later. How many parents do you think that are being supported by parent-to-parent currently? At the
2: moment, well, it's difficult to say because they're they kind of dip in and out um, of support and we're there for however long they want us, basically. So they may, they may just contact us once and have a little chat and then that's enough for them to move on. They may have found support elsewhere within their family group, which is enough for them. Um, sometimes it's just having an odd chat with someone who you know understands and that's invaluable you know they're not going to judge you and they know they've experienced it but you may just need that chat once a month other people talk to us quite regularly so it just depends on what they need really but I would say we've probably got at the
1: moment half a dozen families who we are currently
2: supporting regularly
1: He has no guilty pleasures, says his proudest moment is yet to come, and apparently he used to be good at tap dancing, but gave it up when he fell in the sink. (laughs) He is also one of the island's most prominent Manx architectural historians and Peter Kelly MBE. I would like to give you a no-screeching, no-giggling guarantee right here, right now. Uh, Can't vouch for others in the studio, but um, we'll do our best. If you had free reign over the Isle of Man now from an architectural point of view, what would be the first thing you'd do?
0: (laughs) Very difficult to say, really. I mean, there are architects in practice now who are respecting the past. There are others who want to be avant-garde and do something out of the usual, uh, which is fine, particularly if it's a new building and and it's in a setting, um, you know, in its own private woodland or, or in a field or whatever, but not stuck in between older buildings um, in the town and the excuse usually is and of course they've all been to the same architectural college uh, or university is, oh, well, all our towns have, have grown up over the years with different styles of architecture so therefore we'll stick something um, that stands out in the middle of it but, you know, um, on the promenade the the new Villiers building which is not so new now uh, the planners' um, defence at the time was it it has the same rhythm as the rest of the promenade. In other words, it's slightly curved and it's got um, bay windows coming out. The fact that they're oblong and and not semi-octagonal like the rest, the fact that the lines that run through the heights of the windows is different, didn't seem to matter. It was um, just having the same rhythm.
3: With regards to, because you're talking about a new build there, new buildings um, at the start of what you're saying there, you were also the um, president of the Preservation of the Manx Countryside um, and I just wonder how that correlates with uh, sort of new developments and taking over new areas of the island.
0: Well, yes, I was president and and some years before that I was chairman. Um, In those days, uh, we had a planning officer, uh, not paid, Ian Bleasdale uh, and he had assistants uh, with him. Roger was one of them. Even Marge Jockin was there too, and uh, they did an excellent job. They they looked every week at the plan submitted and, you know, put in comments. Um, in my role as chairman and subsequently as president, I I, I didn't deal with that side of it. Um, I think in the time my role as chairman, I was possibly still in practice. And uh, on the basis of dog doesn't eat dog, one, you know, it's better to, to stay clear. Um, the Victorian society, of course, is something else which I've been greatly involved in. And we do make um, comments on planning applications, although perhaps less now than we did previously, really due to lack of time, my part. Um, and, and people sort of say, well, what have you saved or whatever? Well, it's very hard over 40 years to, th- to think back It's not so much saving buildings, but saving buildings from um, destruction or partial destruction by inappropriate alterations, etc. But I don't know. It's one of those things. Save Man's Heritage was was, uh, another one which I was involved in. Uh, Victorian Society tended to look at Victorian Edwardian buildings. Save Man's Heritage went before and after that event. Because land is zoned and and they're constantly changing, I mean, they recently appealed for people to come forward and say, I've got land that will be suitable for business. Because it's zoned, it is unlikely that an office block or a new building would be put up in the countryside as opposed to what was zoned. I think the only exception to that was probably the film studio Hmm. outside Ramsey. At the time, I commented to the planners that, um, you know, this, this, this was a biscuit tin, basically, going inland that if someone had applied to build a bungalow, they'd have been turned down. Anyway, the, the comment was that, or um, well, the reply, um, they couldn't be anywhere else. I said, well, what about Jerby? Oh, well, no, there's too much background noise in Jerby. Um, so it had to be here. Uh, and then five years, ten years later, it's empty, you know, but it's still there. It's still a biscuit tin in the middle of a field.
1: Um, Peter, I just wonder, from your point of view, if anybody is taking a, a look around the Isle of Man, perhaps they haven't really considered the architecture and the importance of that before, where would be the best place to start to see some really good examples would you say?
0: Well you could follow the Bailey Scott Trail and uh, it's very difficult for me, in in my own mind, to decide which is the best building or, or whatever, because they're, they're all important in, in different ways, and you know in, in different scales you could have Balamore Castle or, or um, Great Meadow, which are, are large houses, or equally, you could have a small summer house uh, in, in in the back garden of somewhere. Uh, what I have found is, uh, particularly of recent, uh, with correspondence with people, those who have come to the island and had a look round and gone back, that the one building which seems to stand out is the Castletown Police Station, uh, and that's the ones which others say, well, this is a, this is a gem, this is this is quite something, and yet. I'm sure the people of Castletown and, and the south of the island and the north of the island, anybody who drives through, will, oh, well, there's the police station, you know, don't think twice. Um, but then when you step back and, and, and have another look, then you, then you realise there's something. And it, it's good that people from across um, see the goodness in it, see, see the jewel that, that's there, uh, when, you know, back where they come from, there's, there's cathedrals and all sorts of things, yet suddenly, wow, look at that.
1: And just finally, Peter, what would you say has been the most devastating loss architecturally for the island?
0: Again, difficult when you look back. The, um, the loss of the majestic um, was tragic. Um, but, on the other hand, it had been altered a lot. And, and, and really, to, to hang on to it, you needed to put money into it to perhaps put it back to more what it was. There are those who think the loss of the palace Lido uh, was a great thing. Uh, Yet I bet none of them realise it was only built in 1922, you know, it wasn't a a Victorian building. Sometimes it's not just the the loss gone forever, it's the destruction uh, by doing things to a building. And you can destroy it just as much by... Inappropriate alterations.
1: Our studio guest this afternoon is the twin sister of a man who is currently paralysed from the neck down and unable to speak because he is suffering from a very rare condition. Leanne Moore, thank you so much for being with us. Just uh, tell us, first of all, what it is that your brother Alex is suffering from. Um, My brother's got a syndrome, it's called Guillain Barre syndrome.
4: Um, it's a very rare condition, especially the condition he's got. Um, he's uh, contracted the acute motor and sensory axonal neuropathy. Very big words to say, sorry. Um, but he basically is completely pa- quadriplegic from the neck down. He's currently on a tracheostomy. Um, he started with some symptoms about three months ago now, and uh, he rang an ambulance and he's been in nobles and now in walton uh, ever since but he's uh, not able to speak the only thing he can do is shake his head and nod his head and anybody that knows alex keenan as is uh, will know how very frustrating that is for him it's almost like he's locked inside his brain
1: but you can communicate with him yes how do you do that at the moment
4: i talk at him and then he can nod and shake his head um, he does try and mouth the words but he basically can't move his mouth too well so he's having speech therapy and things to try and get him to um, articulate a little better with his mouth.
1: and this must have been utterly terrifying when Alex was first taken into hospital he clearly he didn't know what was wrong with him how as a family have you been coping with this over the past three months? Um, we've tried very hard
4: to cope with it. My uh, parents are getting on in years. I hope they don't mind me saying that. Um, But mum's been suffering from a heart condition recently and my dad um, is quite immobile himself. So they've been there as much as they can be. My mum's just come back from Liverpool visiting Alex. Um, And my sister's currently um, saving the reeves and saving whales and things in Fiji
1: because she went away just as this is all starting
4: yeah she did it was um, it was really bad timing and it heart broke her heart bless her but she's trying everything she can from where she is so
1: So this is an incredibly rare condition what affects around 1200 people uh, maybe in the UK to varying degrees because from Mm. what you were explaining to us just before the show started there are four types and Alex has got the most severe Mm -hmm. what do you know about his long-term prognosis and what the steps are going to likely be until hopefully he gets completely better.
4: Um, Unfortunately, even the neurologists can't give us an exact prognosis, but they can pretty much tell us that he will recover to an extent, but what extent that will be is completely unknown at this stage.
1: And, I mean, you describe Alex as being always locked in, although he can communicate with you in some way it just must be so incredibly frustrating for someone who's so intelligent and so used to be, to speaking to people how how is he in himself if that's not a ridiculous question to ask he's utterly
4: miserable he's very very sad and feeling very sorry for himself I think as many people would do in his situation but he um he's gonna get better he knows that he just is very frustrated to get there he wants to be better now but he's doing the physio every day that they're doing on him and um he's uh being very nice to the staff so yeah he's a very nice person i was (laughs) just wondering if you've been in contact or know anyone else with this syndrome Well, actually, very own Tanya Humbles was very, very helpful um, initially, and she's uh, passed on some details of people, and people have been in touch with me as well to tell me that they've had a relative that's suffered from this, and to what extent they've recovered and and things, and it's been really good to know, because it's so rare. It's about 1,200, 1,500 people in the UK alone um, be diagnosed every year, so it's been great to know that people get better and it's great to be able to tell Alex that because at the moment I don't think he thinks that's going to happen.
1: So first of all he was um, taken to Nobles Hospital and then he was transferred to the Walton Centre Intensive Care Unit and I think the most striking thing about what you said Leanne was that obviously he started with these symptoms which got worse before please God you know they are actually getting better now which must have been incredibly distressing for all his family to, to watch him go through that it
4: was heartbreaking to see somebody that you love i'm sure that many people have had to deal with things like this but to see somebody that you love in that position not knowing what it was not knowing what the outcome would be being told they didn't know if he would survive um it it absolutely broke my heart and um my my parents were in pieces but
1: we we're, we're working on it <laughs> and what you have done is you have completely just been a force to be reckoned with when it comes to fundraising for this and we heard about this on mates radio news a couple of weeks ago um you turned to to a crowdfunding page and what is it that you are actually raising money for well myself and my sister this is the way
4: she's helping from where she is but um, basically we, we're trying to raise money to help Alex to help the family with travel expenses which I'm sure you can imagine going on a on a weekly basis as being very expensive even though you do get a lot of help from the government um, but also to help with equipment for Alex for rehabilitation and to give him the best possible outcome that we can get for him
1: and um, what do you know about the long-term prognosis
4: we know very little about it most people do recover there are different um very there there are varying recoverable ways in which people come out of it so some people do have long lasting um issues however we don't know what those issues will be for alex so we are hoping all i want is my brother to get his voice back right now because that is killing him um, anybody that knows Alex knows he doesn't shut up so this has been very very hard for him um, but he's, um, he, he's recovering it's going to take a long time it can take up to about three years to get a recovery out of it
1: you know people who come in here to talk about fundraising nearly always talk about how amazing Manx people are in cases oh, yeah. like this and the generosity of people who you don't even know who you'll never even meet who really are touched by what they've been hearing about
4: I have been, as my family has, we've been utterly blown away by people, by family members, by friends, and by people that we don't know. And it's been absolutely amazing. I can't thank anybody uh, as much as... as Oh, honestly, I've got so many thanks to give, but I can't give them to some people. They've all been anonymous. Um, it's so kind. People are kind. And that's what people need to remember, because especially in the job that I do, we usually see the bad end of people. But do you know what? Everybody's kind in some way. Some Everybody's got a little bit of heart. And they've been so helpful. And Alex cried when I told him. He cried. And that made me cry.
5: <laughs> Michael MacDonald, Coast Guard duty officer. First couple of things you really... What people really need to, to check is obviously the weather. Make sure you got the, the correct clothing for the weather. So, for instance, you know, if it's nice and sunny, make sure you've got suntan lotion, this, that and the other. Uh, it's really bad weather. you know, coats, um, warm clothing as well. Um, you really need to check the tides. Um, the Isle of Man tides, there is quite a big range of tides from um, obviously high water to low water. But we also have a thing called neap tides and spring tides. And these then can be uh, exaggerated by sometimes uh, storm surges, which can, you know, theoretically raise the water level by, a, you know, nearly a metre in some... Uh, some cases.
3: Are there particular areas around the island coastline that are more dangerous than others?
5: Luckily on the Isle of Man, our coastline is fairly um, benign to places like from the UK. But obviously, places like the north of the island where Ramsey, the, the tide because of the, the shallow beach, sometimes the, the tide can come up very quickly and retreat very quickly. Places down south, the, the, the risks are being cut off. It's very rocky and, and, and uh, craggy around the, the southern parts and there's not many access points to get on and off the beach. So sometimes we find people getting uh, trapped by the tide, especially if it's spring tides and the tide is coming in very quickly. So uh, the Alabman is fairly safe, but you just need to be, you have, have your wits about you, do your homework first.
3: And with regards to, I know I was listening to um, some of the reports on the BBC this morning and they were talking about in particular riptides and they were talking about if, if you do get caught in a riptide, what to do about it. So could you just tell us um, what a riptide is and what would you would suggest if you do get caught in one?
5: Yeah, a riptide is when the tide is coming in and it goes over two bars of, of sandbanks basically and physics dictates that water will always try and find the easiest way out Hence, the reason water doesn't never flow up uphill. So, as it's flowing out, it will try and find a gap in between these two banks, and it will actually fl- flow through these two banks. It will get squeezed; it will be like a jet of water. Uh, and sometimes, people it looks when you're on the beach that that's the calmer water, and it looks more inviting to go into where all the waves are. Where, in actual fact, that's just a jet of water being uh, shot out the sea. Uh, the advice is basically: if you find yourself in a riptide, is basically not to face the shoreline, try and swim against the tide, but to go with the tide and go horizontal, go parallel to the, the coastline and swim to the side. And you will feel then that the riptide and the, the flow of water will reduce. And once you get to a point where you feel you're not being pushed further out, then you can start moving towards or swim towards the shore. If you swim against a rip tide, you will never swim against it, and you'll 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 tire very quickly.
3: Are people still sort of going out onto the seas in things like dinghies and small boats, and maybe getting carried away that way?
5: Yeah, uh, we're, we're still experiencing uh, or getting people, especially on sunny days, going out with uh, inflatables. Unfortunately, sometimes that there is an offshore wind which causes the inflatable to be uh, carried out. Sometimes with that person on 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 board. We have in the past had quite a few kayakers who have obviously bought a kayak, haven't really got proper experience, find themselves getting pushed out to sea quite quickly, and then struggling to get back in. Where we've had a couple of people capsize and, you know, literally tried to swim back at, at some point. That was down the south of the island.
3: Okay, and what about the fact that obviously we are an island? We have lots of promenades, we have lots of piers, and they can be very inviting.
5: Yeah, especially during the hot weather we're experiencing at the moment. We've been watching people on the Douglas Promenade uh, jumping in off the steps. Uh, yesterday we had people at Peel jumping off the breakwater into the harbour. Even during rough weather, we, we t- I mean, everybody's seen, again, the tabloids in the UK where we had those two young people on the, on the pier playing chicken with uh, waves. All extremely dangerous activities. Uh, we strongly advise people not to do that. Water is very heavy, um, a cubic metre of water weighs a ton, and that's more than capable of uh, picking you up and throwing you back into the harbour. Even like the roadway to the Peel Castle, where waves are crashing over Fenella Beach, people have been driving their cars through the waves. Unfortunately, those waves are big enough and heavy enough to lift a car in some cases. So we advise people not to drive through waves on the promenades as well.
3: Because there are a lot of activities, aren't there, that have become, seems to have become more and more popular over the past few years with the likes of people putting on the wetsuits and actually going fully swimming all around the coasts of the island. And then, of course, coasteering as well. And obviously you can go out with trained groups, can't you, where there's health and safety and they know what they're doing. But it, it, it's best not to take that upon yourself, isn't it?
5: Absolutely. Uh, again, our advice is if you want to do that type of activity, tombstoning or rock climbing and this, that, and the other, is to find that organizations. There are plenty on the Isle of Man who will do that, and they're in a controlled manner. They have risk assessments, they have all the health and safety bits and pieces they need they're the proper personal protection equipment, wetsuits, helmets, gloves, uh, and they all, all have plans just in case something does go wrong. So, if you really want to do something like that, they're the best people to talk to. Like I said, the coast is a beautiful place but can come up and bite you if you're not careful.
3: Is there a particular place where people can go for more information about this?
5: We're quite happy to give anybody information at the Isle of Man Coast Guard here. If you just call the, the Sea tunnel, the Marine Operations Centre, we're more than happy to give anybody any information on the tides, the weather, any safety advice if you're, if you're going out either kayaking or on bigger boats or if you just want to go for walks. So, for instance... We advise, you know, um, the north of the island where there's sand cliffs not to walk close to the, to the cliff edge. People might have seen pictures in the UK tabloids where a cliff face actually fell down and there was a major operation to see if anyone's underneath them. Stuff like that, we can give advice on that if, you, if people just call us on their, their general Coast Guard number, which they can find on the internet.
1: It is 19 minutes to three, a journal to help you manage your emotional health and well-being. It's called Free Your Mind and it's been created by two sixth form students from Castle Russian as part of their Young Enterprise Scheme. Uh, Mary Podmore and Alex Ollier are with us this afternoon. And Mary, we were hearing at the start of the show that this all came about because of some of your own personal experience of dealing with certain issues growing up. What sort of things were you going through?
6: Um, Well I think teenagers go through stress anyway. Um, It's very common you know with GCSEs and A-levels but when um, I was young just um, starting high school um, I had an illness in the family and I know this affects so many people, you know um, so many things like cancer or um, so many illnesses and um, this can be really hard to deal with um, for the whole family and that's what I found really difficult.
1: And where did you go for help and support then? Were you able to talk to your parents about it?
6: Um, in the beginning, I felt really scared and I thought I was the only one. I didn't understand what was happening, um, but eventually it became so overwhelming that I went and spoke to my mum and um, she um, immediately went and booked me an appointment with my GP. Um, and then I was referred to CAMS, Um but it's so oversubscribed that service it's amazing it really is everyone there is so supportive um, but it can take months just to get onto the cams um, like waiting list and um, yeah the, the, it's, it can be really difficult to find a place and usually when you get there you're at a critical point anyway and your mental health issues can be quite severe by then.
1: Yeah. And one of the things they talked to you about was something called journaling. Now, for anyone who doesn't really know what that means, how would you explain it?
6: Um, well, when I went, she, um, my counsellor told me that journaling can really help. And she told me it's like um, a problem shared is a problem halved. And it re- journaling can really help just rationalise everything that's going on in your head. Once it's down on paper you can talk about it with someone else, you can really think about it and deeply process how you're feeling. And also having it down on paper and a date and a time and with what's happened can help you reflect on different things and how different things made you feel, how you coped with it and how you can change that in the future.
1: And how did you find the whole process working through, through a journal yourself?
6: Yeah, well, I mean, um, I just bought um, a book to, you know, write in to begin with, and um, I found it a bit odd because I'd never done it before, you know, writing down how I felt and things like that, but I soon got into the swing of it, and um, it was amazing. I did struggle, however, to, um, like, reflect on past entries and where to find, like, how I felt or how I coped and was that really to do with this, Um, which is how we came up with the Thought Journal, yeah.
1: Okay, so, Alex, um, you start off in sixth form you're doing uh, the junior achievement young enterprise where do you start creating a thought journal that is going to be useful for people going through uh, what mary's been describing where did you start with it
7: well mary came up with the initial idea because she'd been through the experience herself and then in our team we just started working through ideas and the main engine of it was mary came up with a lot of the ideas and We just kind of pushed through it and went through logos and went through what the book would look like in different sections and then mary came up with the idea of well it was the whole reflection idea wasn't it looking back on what you put in before and then we sent off tips to cams for different things such as bullying and um anxiety as well and they approved all them so then we put them in the back of the journal and then mary came up with the idea of the toolkit as well where they can either doodle in it, or they can write down things that have helped them in the past entries and um, different tips that they found useful, and they just jot them down in the back, don't they?
1: Just incredible. I just um, always imagine it's a bit like um, the Apprentice. You know, when they've created something, and it arrives in a big box, and how you see their faces of like, oh, because it's incredibly professional looking, Mary. You must be so so proud of it, and it has been uh, recognised as well. You won an award for this.
6: Yeah, um, just last week actually went. Um The Ashgrove Marketing, uh, they have a Creative Awards and um, Callum Finch who works with them emailed us and we were very surprised to be asked to enter, but it was so flattering, it was really lovely, so um, he sent us the instructions of what to do, we put together a rationale and then sent it through and we went to the awards evening last week and yeah we won the prize for innovation which is really good yeah. Brilliant. Well done all. Uh, Alex, it's interesting because
3: we were talking um, just before you came on the show, um, you were saying about when you were younger and having anxiety when you were much younger. Do you think this would be, is useful for sort of any ages?
7: Mm-hmm. I think, well we're looking into adapting it for people who are a little bit older, but I feel like, yeah, it could definitely be used by someone who's younger. Maybe just some of the things it would be have to be a bit more interactive maybe with a bit more colouring or stickers or things like that. But yeah, When I had it when I was younger, definitely something like this would have helped a lot better then.
1: The other thing I love about this, it's got a quote of the day as well, and there are various um, really short but inspirational, meaningful quotes. Where did they all come from, Mary?
6: Um, Hours of scouring (sighs) the internet, um, trying to find different ones. Yeah, because um, I think there's about... There's about 80 diary pages in there, Mm -hmm. and um, we had to find one for every day. But the purpose of that, I think, is um, mental health has a big stigma around it. It's all negative and, you know, things like that. But we thought that a quote of the day would, it's just, uh, you know, if it helps focus on the positive, that's why also in there we have, like, um, where you can write down your positive feelings. Because, you know, a day is full of ups and downs, um, and it's good to not just focus on the downs, but also the ups that you had, the highs in the day, yeah. Alex I really personally admire you for coming forward and obviously speaking on the radio how difficult has it been for you to obviously talk about this as having that guy kind of image Mm
7: -hmm. well I found it very difficult when I was younger it happened in about year four and I had it for a couple of months I struggled with it and then I went to see a therapist but I only really talked to it with my family and barely then I think it's quite difficult to talk to guys about it because you know not being sexist but I think they don't Understand it as much as some people would and I think especially when we were younger they wouldn't understand it. whereas maybe nowadays They might understand it when they come to this.
6: And what about your dad? How did he accept that?
7: I don't really remember much talking to him. It was more I spoke to my mum about it, but I think he kind of understood, but It's quite difficult if you've never experienced it yourself I think I think or if you know someone that's experienced it, I think without knowing that it is quite difficult And that's why we kind of try to raise awareness for it as well to help people understand what people are going through and that's what I think the journal helps with as well.
6: You know, I can almost hear my parents' generation kind of going, oh, come on, pull your socks up, it's just your age, it's just your age. You know, did you have anyone say that to you? No, I didn't at all. Um, I think, yeah, my mom, as soon as she found out, um, especially after a big event in the family or something that, you know, would obviously lead to some troubles, she she completely understood. Um, I can see though why people might say that, especially as you said the older, older generations um, because it was you know quite a thing of like oh just get on with it isn't it mm-hmm. um, but I think that's really changed nowadays I think people are a lot more understanding and you know I've heard a lot of the time like mental health is just as important as physical health and it really do- they affect each other as well. So I think that the awareness that is coming about now is really helping our generation come to terms with it and accepting other people.
1: Teenage years though are typically uh, difficult. You know, there are certain things that that you expect your your child to go through during this time. How do you know when it is something more serious? Do you think?
6: I think that's really hard uh, mm. a hard question, and I think it's on a very individual basis as well. Some people are a lot more open about talking about things like mental health and some people are a lot more closed in. I think it's as a parent, if you feel that your child is acting different to normal or you, because I think parents have very good intuition anyway. I mean, obviously I wouldn't know, but I know my mum when she kind of, she could sense when I wasn't feeling great and she still can now. Um, But yeah, just like go off what you think and um, if not then go and talk, go and speak to someone, you know, go and talk to someone who knows about mental health and ask them what they think they, you should do about it. Uh, we're talking about fitness
1: and well-being this afternoon, our guest is uh, Jackie Walker who's been in the fitness industry for over 20 years um, and we're just talking about whether or not uh, you are fitness fanatics, do you rely on those exercise apps or programmes to keep you in tip top shape? Um, Apparently they're not so good and they could have a lot to answer for making exercise apparently Jackie a lot harder than it is now This is because um, people become overconfident perhaps they're not doing the right techniques uh, What do you do you make of these things which obviously in the past have been quite good in getting people moving at all?
8: I think the main thing about these apps is your technique Technique is everything you've only got to do something wrong. You can put your back out your knees out um, Then you're off and you can't do anything so It might start people off, but we get lazy. I'll just pause that and have a little break here. You've got no one breathing down your neck all the time or people around watching you. So does it matter if you take a few minutes off or... Is that what we need
1: then? Do we need to have somebody, do we need a little Jackie on our shoulder (laughs) telling you to get moving?
8: Everyone's different. Some people, eg, can go out running Mm -hmm. and they can go and do it by themselves and be perfectly happy. But the majority of people, a good 90% of people can't, they need somebody to drive them on. Um, And if they've got the determination, someone behind them, they will go far and they will achieve what they want to achieve. Whereas something on a little phone, I can't see how that can actually work.
3: Does it get to the point though where there's like a, a tip in the balance? Because you were saying that you class yourself as being addicted to fitness, for yes. instance. So does it get to a point where you do so much that you no longer need it because you just need to do it?
8: No, um, I. There's not a week goes by goes by with me doing my twenty classes a week that I don't ache.
6: <laughs> oh, great! Well,
8: I that's... ache, and the the idea is we need to ache. You need that ache in that muscles, you need that stiffness, because that's the only way that the metabolism keeps going because it's muscle damage. So repair that muscle, that muscle repairs back stronger and bigger and able to cope. Hence more calories are burnt. And so if I didn't ache, I think I'd be a bit boring, I'd be a bit bored and boring. You know, I, I, I enjoy
1: that feel. Mm -hmm. There's a word for people like you, Jackie, but I'm not going to talk (laughs) about it now. Um, But in terms of of people then starting out, I mean, obviously we we talked about this at the beginning of the year, didn't we? The New Year's resolutions, you're like, right, I'm going to go out and get fit. Some people do have um, what seem like quite plausible excuses about why they can't do certain things and and things to do with their diet and whatever. What do you make of of people when they perhaps present you with some of these excuses? Some excuses are genuine, but it doesn't
8: matter what your problem is you can exercise it doesn't matter what your problem is i've got one lady coming back to me who's just had um a slip disc repaired and she's coming back to me so there's no excuses you know you can keep going
6: yeah i think that's totally right like before i started training for the great north run i found it so so hard to find that motivation but having something like a goal to work towards even gives you the motivation you need to do it and I
8: think, it yeah. a carrot in front of somebody whether it be weight loss whether it be general fitness whatever someone has a goal that they want to achieve
1: but isn't it fair to say that for some people there's an element of self-consciousness which maybe stops them from, from doing it and because you, you don't want to go out there and make a fool of yourself do you particularly if you're in a class full of people who might have been doing it for ages and you feel that maybe you're not up to scratch i'm not you know obviously highlighting myself here at all in one of your classes (laughs) jackie no
8: i think the the whole idea is my classes are fun and if i get a new person that hasn't exercised in a while i do make a beeline for them and i will actually say to them you can wiggle that bum as much as you want you can sing along as much as you want because no one will be watching you they'll all be watching me And so, you know, it sort of breaks the ice a bit. And I said, it's not about getting it right, it's not all wrong, it's just about going for it and just enjoying the music.
1: Anything is better than nothing. Your um, routines are completely different, I think, to what most people would expect from an exercise class. How do you come up with them all? Um, Some of them, um, a franchise. So,
8: um, boogie bounce on the trampolines is a franchise. So those routines are created for you, but obviously your personality has to come over. Um, you know, you could anyone could just go and teach that, but if you haven't got that oomph with it, um, you're not an individual. Things like MetaFit as well, they are um, already done for you. But then you've got your own little intakes, like your body sculpting, that you can add your own little twist to your Zumba, that you can add your own little twists to Bollywood dance. You know, you name it, and they they
3: are you. They are the, the individual that teaches them. A lot of these new ones, like Zumba and Bollywood dance, obviously, do incorporate dance, and obviously yes. you being a dancer. Would you say that dance is one of those sort of ultimate exercises that just does every little bit of you?
8: Yes, it does, yeah. I love to dance, I love to dance. Would have loved to have been a dance teacher. Mm. But so unfortunately, why did you? Well, unfortunately, in my my time of being a teenager you sort of hit 16 and your parents didn't support you anymore and you had to go out and work. So I couldn't carry on my training, not like nowadays where there's scholarships to be had. There was
3: nothing back then. It was a case of you go out and you work. We've also had a, a comment in uh, from Kate who says, we do all need a Jackie to motivate us. Absolutely love Jackie's classes. You're always guaranteed to live, leave with a smile on your face and an ache in your limbs. you <laughs> are. Well, you're going to uh, be giving some more people an
1: ache in their limbs over the weekend because you yes. are taking part in the Relay for Life, which is the Cancer Research this Saturday and Sunday at the NSC. And there's a very particular reason why um, Team JG is taking part.
8: Yeah, we... Um my husband, Richard, was a cancer sufferer, is in remission now. So obviously it's a subject that's quite close to um, our, our hearts as a family. So our Gina from G- um, G- um, GDA Studio, she's in our team. Um, and we also have two other cancer sufferers in our team. And you've raised £6,000? So um, £6,000, £6, yes, we've raised that. And we still have more donations, so... If you'd love to donate to us, we will accept.
1: And we'll put a link to that on the Women Today Facebook page. But you, are- Thank you so much for downloading the Women Today podcast. As ever, if there's a guest you'd like to hear on the show or something you think we should be talking about, then we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via email. It's womentoday@manxradio.com, at manxradio.com or you can go to the Women Today Facebook page, like and follow the page while you're there, or we're also on Twitter. It's at MRWomenToday. Until next time, goodbye.
8: Sounds and conditions apply.